call our attention to the gifts that God has given every one of his children. Uh, not for ourselves, but in order that we may serve the body of Christ. So that's what we'll be looking at today. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament. Uh, Romans, the 12th chapter. Our, our, our focus is will be verses 3 through 8. However, we'll start with verse 1 for context. Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 1. And if you would, please stand down to the reading of God's Word. Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is the Word of God. The all-sufficient, all-powerful, Please hear the voice of Christ. First one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, 4, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for it. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And Lord, I have a blessing to the reading of this word. You may be seated in the presence of our Lord. Tag to take before us this morning, gifted to serve. Gifted to serve. Let us go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious and heavenly Father, we do come before you to say thank you for who you are, for there is truly no one like. You alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our affections. You alone are worthy of our attention this morning. So, Father, I ask that you would have mercy upon us. As we have entered into your house of worship, gathered with the people of God, Lord, may you pour out your Holy Spirit that we would respond appropriately to you in worship and in praise. Lord, whatever cares of life, whatever is on our mind, whatever we have just come through at the end of last week, and beginning a new week on this Lord's Day, dear God, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would cause our minds and affections and hearts to be set upon you right now. Father, please remove all the strikes. Father, remove our doubts. Remove all despair. And may you speak to us through your word. May we hear you audibly in our souls as we search 
your word. Father, thank you for the worship that has gone forth thus far. I ask that it would have been acceptable in your sight. But even now, Lord, I ask that you take my foolish words and multiply them by the power of the Holy Spirit to something that will break strongholds, that will bring deliverance, and that your glory will shine forth in this place in a magnificent and marvelous way. Heavenly Father, for the one who is struggling, I ask that they would trust in you and that they would truly understand that your grace is sufficient. That there now is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That we don't have to carry into this week what we had on our back last week. That we just, all we need to do is kneel before your throne, cry out to you, and you will restore, renew, and refresh, and you will reconcile us back to you when we confess our sins and trespasses. Lord, have mercy on us because of our sins. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have sinned against you this past week and dishonored you with our lips and with our life. Father, I ask that you would forgive us for how we have sinned against one another through our gossip, through our frustration and anger at our brothers and sisters. So, Father, I ask that you would take your word and you would deposit it deeply within our hearts and you would produce much fruit. As that your Holy Spirit will water your word right now in the name of Jesus. And people will be transformed and changed and motivated to love you and to serve your kingdom. Father, have mercy upon us right now. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And one thing that I look up with joy here in Louisville is the food scene. Now, I, I, I'm a foodie. I like to try different foods. If you know anything about me, you know I got a, a strange palate. I try most anything at least once. Pastor Maceo came all the way up to, from Atlanta just to testify to that fact. Brother, I will eat just about anything at least once. I'm going to try. And I like all the different restaurants here in Louisville. I'm always trying different things. I'm trying to get other people to try different things. And sometimes we have conversations about the different food, about the different uh, experiences here in the city of Louisville. Uh, but there's one thing that I, I enjoy just as much as good food. I enjoy good service. I don't know about you, but when I go to a restaurant, I feel like I'm paying for something. I, I, I like good service. I'm talking about service that when you order it, the food come out right. If you order a medium well steak, it's medium well. Amen. If, or if you, if you order a well done steak, Pastor Maceo, it's going to come well done. It's going to be like it's supposed to be. When the person comes out, they come with a smile, they greet you, they say hello, hi, introduce themselves. They act like they enjoy being at work and that they actually want to be there for the day. When your food come out, ain't no hair on it, it ain't messed up. You know, it's just, I love good service. You know, good service can make or break a dining experience. Because you all remember that one time, two times, three times you had a bad service. Remember? I pray for my mom sometimes. Sometimes we get bad service. I say, Mom, ain't you gonna leave the tip? I said, Mom, what you leave? I rolled on the napkin, looked both ways before you cross the street. I'm like, Mom, you can't be doing that. Mom, you ain't giving me a tip. But we all know. And I had bad experiences at a restaurant and had bad service. But you know what? We know we've had good service when we walk in. And the greeters are happy to see you. They escort you to the table. They tell you about the special. 
They give you your, your drink water. They give you your napkins. They give you your utensils. And the cooks act like they know what they're doing. They get it just right. And the, the wait staff act like they know what they're doing. And you know you have received great service when you sit there and it feels like everyone is there just to serve you. It's like, oh man, it's been a good day. This has been some good service. But you know what? Unfortunately, we treat the church like we treat the rest of them. And we equate a good experience in church based upon if everyone has served us today and we had a good meal. There's a lot of times we come into the church with that same attitude that if, if we're not greeted right at the front door, if that person don't speak to me when they see me, if, if when I'm coming down the aisle, somebody in my seat, if I, if I don't hear the right songs on Sunday, if the, if the preacher don't preach a word just like I like it, we equate that experience to be a bad experience. And it's because as Americans, we have this culture that we are the consumers and we feel entitled that we're supposed to be served on hand and foot. But beloved, when it comes to the church, it's different than a restaurant. Because the restaurant is there for a profit. The church is here for praise. The restaurant is here for you to be serving. The church is here for us to serve Christ. See, there's a difference between this world and the church. Because in the church, it's not about us. Depending upon the price, it's not about us. When we enter in this place, it's not about us and what we're going to get. It's about us giving Jesus an acceptable friend. It's about us lifting the Savior up and esteeming him for who he is. And that's why the Christian life is so upside down. That's why we struggle so much. Because we're, we're, we're Christians in this world, this world has so much residue and it takes us and it makes us feel like we should do like the world, but Jesus always steps in and says, no, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. Jesus throws those paradoxes that we talked about last week in order for you to, you go down in order to go up. You're broken before you are healed. Jesus is flipping the script. Jesus is renewing our, our world group, our worldview, and he's reshaping our reality. When Jesus steps into a situation, he turns it upside down. When Jesus stepped into your life, he didn't come just to be a part of your life. He came to take over your life. That is the Christian life. Jesus turns our consumeristic mindsets upside down. Because at the cross of Christ, we see the picture and model of glorious servanthood. When we look at the cross, we see the Savior lifted up, him naked, stripped, bound, beaten, not because of his sin, but for yours and for mine. At the cross, we see someone who was willing to give up everything, even his life. Just for we see when Jesus entered into creation, Mark 10, 14, says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We follow Jesus' example because he is our Savior. But Jesus doesn't just call us to be servants and leave us here. Jesus calls us to be servants and he equips us to serve. Jesus, he not only served, but he expects his disciples to be servants as well. And he equips us for that. In the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter, Jesus is preparing to leave his disciples.
disciples and he's, he's speaking to them about him going away. And they're trying to understand where you're going, why you're leaving us, Jesus. And Jesus said, don't trip, don't worry. Amen. Because when I leave, I'm going to send you a helper. Apparently, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When he leaves, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come. And, he, and, and, and the text says that he will convict us of sin. He will show us our brokenness. He will show us our selfishness. He would guide us in all truth. He will bring uh, to remembrance what Jesus has already said. But also, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit brings gifts with him. Gifts for his people. Spiritual gifts. Now, what are spiritual gifts? We're going to be talking a lot about spiritual gifts today. Spiritual gifts are that divine empowerment that God gives to his children in order to be a blessing to, towards one another, that his glory may be shown throughout the creation. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts. These gifts, it's divine empowerment. It's not because we train so hard, it's not because of who we are, but it's because God in his grace and in his mercy has chosen and equipped us to live with one another. And to live with one another in a way that we would bring maximum glory to him. Demonstrated through our love. This is a supernatural ability in 1 Peter 10. I'm sorry, in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, the 10th verse, he's talking about these spiritual gifts, and he says, as each has received the gift, we, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have a spiritual gift, at least one. Because the Spirit gives gifts to man. And it says here, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of very grace. What is he saying? Peter is saying that you've been given a gift. Now do something with it. Use your gift. Christians, use your gift. Because Jesus has given his people spiritual gifts. Use your gift to serve his people. In other words, Christians have been gifted to serve one another. Amen. If I could borrow the quote by John F. Kennedy, sometimes we have to have the mindset, it's not what your church can do for you. It's what you can do for your church. Amen. So from the text this morning, we are encouraged to use our gifts. And the first thing I want us to see in the text is I want us to see that we serve one another out of humility. We serve one another out of humility. We, we serve one another from a posture of lowliness, humility, and love. And we see it here in verse 3. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to be, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, the, 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 the greatest distraction, the greatest deterrent to service is pride. Pride is the greatest roadblock to service taking place within the body of Christ, within the church. Because pride says it's all about me. Pride says, what can you do for me? Pride says, I'm up here, y'all down there, so y'all need to do something for me up here. Pride says, I, 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 I don't care what you're going through. It's all about my day. Have you ever been in a conversation with folks and, 
think my boss, they just jump in, oh yeah, my boss is so crazy. My boss did this, this, that, and this. I'm like, oh, that was called. <laughs> <laughs> and then you say, uh, yeah, and then I know he to get some gas. Oh, you know what, my car, I was driving to get some gas, and it just hijacked the whole story. That's how you can't get a word to word through. Pride will make every conversation about you. Hello, somebody. When you in conversations, do you always talk about you? Like, have you ever just listened to the conversations? Like, yeah. Mm, sorry to hear that. <clears throat> really? Oh, I'm afraid for that. Or do you, as soon as they say something, it's like a, 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 a piece of brand. Okay, I want to talk about that too. Because I'm talking about me. That's what pride does in the church. You can't serve nobody while you're so busy talking about yourself. You can't serve somebody else when, when the whole world revolves around you. So the, the, the text is laying out for us in this passage that service and humility are inextricably linked. It's tied together. You can't have one without the other. You can't have service without humility, and you can't have humility without service. You, you can walk around and talk about how humble you are, but if you ain't serving nobody, then you have no manifestation of the humility you claim you have. As a matter of fact, that that's a humble boast. If you gotta tell people you humble, Service and humility are linked. And even here in, this, in the text, Paul has demonstrated great humility. Because look what he does. He says, well, by the grace given to me. But what Paul is really, really saying, he's just saying it in a very nice way. He said, you know what? God made me an apostle. I have apostolic authority. I can tell y'all what y'all supposed to be doing. That's what he's saying, but what does he say? For the grace given to me. He understands that who he is, it's because God made him that way. The authority he has, it's a delegated authority. He needs to steward it properly. So as he's standing for them, he says, you know what? God has given me a grace. And the grace he gave me was to be an apostle. An apostle has the authority to speak life and speak truth and to speak oh, a, a word, thus saith the Lord. And he's saying, this is what the Lord is saying to you. Listen to my authority. And he says, everyone, don't think so highly of yourself. Don't think you all that. I'm speaking on grace. I, 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 Paul is saying, I can't even stand here and say, I'm an apostle because I'm just so good. I am an apostle because of God's grace. So because of God's grace, don't think so highly of yourself. Don't think you're all that when you're gifted. Don't think that everyone should look to you for a word. Don't think that everyone should, should, should check with you first on everything. Don't think that, that you can't be brought forward. Don't think too highly of yourself. But what Paul wants us to do, because he, he walks through and says, but, but with sober judgment, he wants us to understand, don't think too highly of yourself. But also because of God's grace, don't think too lowly of yourself. It's like the exercise that they used to do with kids. Say, I am somebody. See, but what the world wants to do is make that autonomous to yourself. You are somebody because you say you're somebody. Well, Christians, we're somebody because God said we're somebody. We have identity because Jesus Christ gives us identity. So when we stand before God with our gifts, we don't say, look at me. We say, look at you. Look at you, God. So I I don't take a posture while I think too highly of myself, but also I don't, think, I don't take a posture while I think too lowly of myself. I don't, 
Ooh, this can be more. Give me more. I'm sorry. I'm just preaching today. So God wants us to understand that service and humility are linked. And he does so by saying, don't think too highly of yourself, but with sober judgment. Sober judgment. So we, we know what sober is. It's the opposite of intoxicated. And when folks are intoxicated, we can look, look at Proverbs 23 where it lays out uh, what, what it feels like to be drunk. From the, uh, the Proverbs says you, you wake up with all kinds of wealth and you don't know how it got there. The Proverbs say that. The Proverbs say you stand up and it feels like you're standing on the mast of a ship that's swaying. So when the text talks about having sober judgment, he said don't be drunk off your own ego. Don't have a distorted view of yours because when you're drunk, you have a distorted perception. Don't look at yourself in a way that is distorted and dysfunctional because you think so highly of yourself. But what he's saying is uh, have sober judgment, have a judgment that's based on each according to the measure of faith. What's he saying? He's not talking about the quantity of faith. He's talking about the quality of faith. So when he says, each according to the measure of faith, what he's saying is, it's not that everybody got different measures of faith, but the measure of faith is one measure of faith dispensed by Jesus Christ. You have one faith. So because Jesus has equally distributed in this faith, his people don't think so highly of yourself. Be sober. Be sober-minded. And the way that we know that this text is linked to humility is because right at the beginning of verse 3, he says 4. He, he's catching the context of verse 1 and 2. But verse 1 and 2 talks about being a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. So really what he's saying is a, 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 a physical manifestation and service of service is a transformed life. The text says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the result of a transformed life is a life full of humility and service. We can serve because my life is sacrificed for Christ. We can serve because I, now I'm not conformed to the world. We can serve because I have a renewed mind in Christ Jesus. So I can serve because I have been brought low. I have a new nature. That's what it talks about transformed. The word right there is where we get the word metamorphosis from. In the process of how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, that metamorphosis, you have this, this caterpillar that's short, chubby, and moves slow, walks on the ground. There's nothing beautiful about a caterpillar. But then the caterpillar begins the process of metamorphosis and goes into a cocoon. And then it comes out on the other side of beautiful weather. Yes, Completely different. That butterfly ain't walking on the ground. That, one, that butterfly ain't, ain't, ain't like inching along like the caterpillar was. That something's different now. And when we are in Christ Jesus, that a metamorphosis, a, a transformation takes place that takes prideful, sinful people who think much of themselves and it transforms us to be lovely, humble people who just want to serve and do God's will. We have a change of nature. That's what takes place. So we serve one another not out of haughtiness. We 
We serve one another because we are uniquely knitted together. This is what he talks about in verses 4 and 5. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So, so what, what, is, what is the apostle saying? He's saying that though we are individuals, uh, those who are in Christ, because he says it, uh, we are one body in Christ, and Jesus is your Savior. Yeah. That you are part of this body of Christ, this local body of Jesus here right now. So it's not like we're just Lone Ranger Christians. Not just we're, we're on this island all by ourselves. He says we are one body. Have, have you ever thought of to yourself just how complex the human body is? Have you really thought about that? Have you considered everything that's taking place even right now for you to be awake and listening to a sermon? There's so many things that have to be fine. Like you, you're not thinking about breathing until now because I pointed out you're thinking about breathing. But uh, you, you don't think about that. It just happens. You don't tell your heart to beat. You, 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 don't, you, you don't tell your eyes to open and to blink. It, it, it just happens. The body is working with itself. That, that's one reason why the evolution is so foolish. Evolution is foolish. If it, I, I tell people all the time, I just I visited the, the McGee's and I said to them, I said, man, childbirth is beautiful. It's glorious. Have you ever thought about childbirth is a miracle in the end and of itself? Do you know how many things got to go right for that baby to come out? Have you ever thought about that? That's the human body at work. The, a living organism was in this lady in a sack of water and then was getting all of its nutrients through this umbilical cord and then comes out and, 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 and then the body knows oh, I'm not in sack no more so I'm going to start breathing this, this air. Like how many things have to come together for that to work? Within the body, another reason why evolution is so foolish, you have the notion of what is called irreducible complexity. And, and, and what it is, is uh, in a cell, there are some uh, parts and pieces that you must have in order for the cell to work. So I think a perfect example is like a mouse trap. In order for a mouse trap to work, you have to have some basic pieces. A mouse trap doesn't just work, you just get a piece of wood, do it. You ain't catching up just a piece of wood. If a mouse trap doesn't work, you get a piece of wood, and, 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 and no matter what, it don't work. A mouth trap won't work unless you got the piece of wood, the metal bar, and the spring that's on it. And the catch. That's irreducible. So you need every one of them pieces in order for it to work. Think about the human body. We are irreducibly complex. The cells within the human organism don't just come out of nowhere. We didn't just evolve out of nothing and become something. But the body is, is unique and is dynamic and is growing. Paul is using that metaphor to represent the body of Christ. We are unique and, and we are growing and we are living and we are irreducibly complex. We can't do this Christian thing on our own. You can try, you will fail. But you can't do this Christian walk on your own. We are one body. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 
I believe Paul is borrowing the same analogy that he used once before within his letter to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 12. And he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less a part of the body. Hear that? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body. Each one of them as he chose. Not as we chose. As he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And he finishes out, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. We can't tell nobody we don't need them. Man needs you anyway. No, you can't even tell folks that. Now that they're part of the body of Christ. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the, now watch this, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honor, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so controlled the body. Give greater honor to the body, to the part that lacks it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are not individuals, we are a collective in Christ Jesus. Background. Oh, I'm in the background. Play the background. 
church function well. The small things, not the big things. See, but the problem is, we, we live in a culture that is so caught up with I. I. Instead of we. The world teaches us all about me. So we bring that same mindset from the world. You gotta get yours. You gotta get paid. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta rise on that corporate ladder. And we treat the church like it's a, it's like it's a, a company being traded on NASDAQ. That we gotta rise in order to gain significance. Jesus is saying, you was already significant. Not even when you accepted me. You were significant when you were in my mind before eternity passed. You were significant when Jesus went to Calvary's cross. You ain't got to climb no ladders to be significant to me. I shed my blood for you. So the church don't function like a company. The church, this ain't Humana. This ain't Humana. This is the church of Jesus Christ purchased but blood bought. When all those companies pass away, hallelujah. When humanity takes a tumble downtown, that building ain't going to stand because the Bible tells me that New Jerusalem is going to come in and crush everything that we built, and he's going to restore his kingdom. It's not I, we're we. So, how do we know that we bring that world's mentality into the church? Well, just a couple things here I want you to think about. Have you considered this? Do you base your service on your calendar or do you base your calendar on your service? Oh Can you help me with this? Oh, oh wait, 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 let me check. Let me check. I'm going to check my calendar first. Hold up. Let me check. Oh, you know what? I, I can't do it that day. I can't do it that day. I can't. I got this window on Saturday night between 2 and 3 a.m. Okay? Can I serve there? Now, a Christian says, you know what? Let me check my calendar and see what I need to change so I can serve. We need to create some space in our calendars. We're too busy, y'all. We just too busy. We, we busy doing stuff that we want to do. We go places where we want to go. Where at on your calendar do you have a space to serve somebody other than yourself? Another test. How do you set your priorities? How do you determine what gets scheduled? How do you determine what's going to be in front of you? How do you want to determine what you spend your money and your time on? That's what you care about. Check your bank book. Look, look, at, look at your bank book. Whatever categories got the biggest budget, wherever you spend most of your time, that's your priority. It just, it just is what it is. We have to be the body in Christ. See, that's the key. This is supernatural. It's not something that we just up and do because we want to. We don't, we don't, we don't want to be a collective. We want to be individuals because we want our way. But Christ Jesus, he crushes our desires and he causes us to love him more than anything else. So then he rearranges our affections and now we're more in line into what he wants to do in the Lastly, in the text, we 
not only serve one another out of humility, we not only serve one another because we're one, but then lastly, we serve one another out of obedience. We serve one another because we've been told to serve one another. Look here. Verse 6. So he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. In prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by the gift. Don't be, don't be like the squirrel. Don't, 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 don't pay attention to the text. Don't be so quick to run to the spiritual gifts that you miss what Paul just said. Before you run to prophecy, well, what's prophecy these days in the church? We can talk about that later. But before we get into all of that, he just says, whatever gift you have, you need to start using it. Let us use them. Use your gift. And the reason why he's saying use your gift, he is speaking to a church, this new church that God is building, and he's building this church in order to be a beacon of light in a sinful uh, uh, pagan world. And Jesus wants to use us to be a beacon of light and hope in a pagan world. He wants to do something bigger than we can do by ourselves. Turn with me quickly over to Exodus 31st chapter. I want to show you something. In Exodus, the 31st chapter, what we see that in the New Testament, this is not the first time that, that Jesus gives gifts to men in order to build something. Because in Exodus, the 31st chapter, we see that Israel is, is preparing to build the temple, the place where God, will, where the people would meet God, where worship would take place, the place where, where everyone would look to and see the God of Israel being worshipped and honored and adored. So in order to build that place of worship, somebody come on. If, if, if God is going to build this place of worship, yeah. he is preparing people to build it. Verse 1, he says, the Lord says to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, and the, of the tribe of Judah. Watch this. I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and, and carving wood, and to, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him, Ohilad, the son of Ahismah, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Beloved, God ain't going to call us to do anything that he hasn't already equipped us to do. He said that I have commanded you the, the tent of, he wants the tent of meeting to be sweet. And the art of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table, and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils and the altar incense, and he goes on and on and on. What God does in the Old Testament, he is saying, in order to build my house of worship, 
where people will meet me face to face. The, the place where uh, the pagan nations will look to and see the God of Israel. I will give people gifts and abilities in order to build that place. Beloved, in the New Testament, God is doing the same thing. He is taking broken folks like me and like you. He's taking sinners and he has turned them into saints. And not only that, he's given us gifts so that we will build a new tabernacle, his church, the place where God will reside within the body of Christ in order that we may magnify his name. He's given us gifts and abilities that we may build right here and right now. Paul says, use your gifts. Stop sleeping on what God has given you. Let them use them. So use your gifts. I'm going to work with that right quick. He said, use your gifts. He's saying, do something. Amen. Do something. Don't just sit there. Do something. If you see a need, fill a need. We like, Pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, I heard the example before. See, spiritual gifts is kind of like a pickup game of basketball, right? In the game, you get on the court with folks you ain't never played with before. This is just a pickup game. Y'all get together and y'all play. But you don't figure out who can do what until you get on the court and start playing. And once you're on the court and you start playing, you start to see who can dribble and who can't, who can pass and who can't, who can shoot and who can't, who can play defense and who can't, and who needs to sit on the bench and give everybody more. We can see that. But you won't find out your gift until you get on the court and start playing in the game. God has called us to do something. You ain't got, you don't have to know, well, well the test said I, I got to give them administration and I got to give them exhortation and I got to give them of charity. You, you, you really don't need that. All you need to do is just get up and show up and God will begin to reveal your giftings and then other people will say to you, oh man, you so good at such and such. You. Use your gifts. What I like about this phrase and those four words, I don't see any exceptions. You let us let us use them. Not if I got a job. If I don't got a job. If I'm married or if I'm not married. If I got children or if I don't have children. If I'm young or if I'm uh, older, it, 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 no exceptions here. If you are part of the body of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, you have a gift, and God says, use it. Use it. Now, what I'm not saying is that there may be seasons of life that may be difficult for you to be around the body or whatever. But if we're really, really part of the body, then we around one another more than just Sunday, right? If we're really the body of Christ, I don't have to wait for Sunday to serve you. You see my number during the week. Somebody's checking on Somebody's calling. There's no exceptions. He said, use your gifts. The gift that God has chosen to give you. See, one of the reasons why we don't serve 
with the gift that we have just don't be worried about the gift we don't have. We, we, we want the, like the Christian church, we want the sign gifts. We want the flashy stuff. We want the stuff that people are going to pat us on the back for all the time. But, but if that's not your gift to be out front, use what you have. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't leave here saying, oh, I wish I was like. Oh, they do such a good job. I wish I could do that too. No, you're not supposed to do that too. You walk according to how God has equipped you. And when you walk how God has equipped you, beloved, people, instead of saying, I wish I was like them, people are going to say, I wish I was like them. Just walk in your gift. Use your gift. This list right here, these are, these are gifts. Parallel passage in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verses 4 through 11. I'm not going to go there right now. But what we have to understand about gifts, gifts really don't say nothing about us. Right. That's right. Gifts say everything about the gift. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Gifts say everything about Jesus. That's right. Because why she says, having different gifts, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. When we walk in our gifts, then we deeply appreciate grace. See, grace is the gift that keeps on giving. Grace is the type of gift that will rescue your soul from damnation and give you the ability to speak God's word to people you don't even know. See, grace is not just about what you get out of. Grace is about what he has fueled you to do for him. So when he says, according to the grace, grace not only rescues my soul, give it to me un unmerited favor, grace actually allows me to accomplish the will of God. Grace is the fuel in my engine. Grace is that which propels me towards righteousness. And what he's saying is, I don't just give them gifts, I give them the grace and, 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 and grace just produced the gift in their life. So according to the grace given to us. Beloved, when you press into your gifts, you're pressing into grace. When you consider more so how God has equipped you and not how God has equipped everyone else, you are saying, God, thank you for making me me. You don't make any mistakes. You are a sovereign, prophet, creator who knows exactly what he's doing. And I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean down on my own understanding. And all that way, I'm going to follow you. I trust you. But when I'm worried about somebody else, give them Everybody's getting glasses. 
They smiled that one another. How you doing today? Praise God. Good to see you. Well, you actually like the people you work with. I'm talking about your dream job. You ain't struggling financially. You get the, you get all that you need. Just think about your dream job. You're like, oh man, I'd be nice. Beloved, Jesus has already given you a dream job. If you belong to him. He says, walk in your gift. And I will give you every single thing that you need to accomplish the task. And you will receive joy, unspeakable joy, in pressing the grace and obeying his command to use your gift. Yeah. Beloved, sometimes we, we find ourselves not joyful. And you know what? In this study, I kind of believe there's a lot of lack of joy in the Christian life because people just ain't doing what they're supposed to do. If God created me for a specific purpose and I'm walking in that, he will produce all kinds of miraculous things. But when I'm disobedient, doing what I want to do, sin and selfishness never produce joy. Service and selflessness produces joy. Use it or lose it. Your joy. So next step, so what do we what do we do? What do we do for? So one of the questions you just want to ask yourself is, are you serving the body? If not, why not? If not, why not? Let, let, let us answer that question. Let us help you with that. And when I say serve, beloved, there's so many other things that takes place within the body than just Sunday service. Helping and serving one another. A lot of times, service. They're just undercover. People don't even know they're just serving. But if you are serving, if you if, if you are serving, are you operating in your gift? Pull out your handout. This morning we, we passed out the bulletins in your handout. We have this list of church ministry needs. Go ahead and pull that out right now. And see, here's a list of just various ministry needs. This, this is not a comprehensive list. It, it may be some errors on here. But the whole purpose is to show you that we have a lot of needs here. And for anyone who says, you know, I just don't know where I fit in, just show up. Just get in the game somewhere. So we're asking that uh, based upon you know, the, the spiritual gift survey, based upon how God's been speaking to you, um, last week and this week, it just takes some time to fill this out. Where does God want you to serve and, and how does he want you to serve the body? And again, this is not a comprehensive list, so if you don't see something on here that, that uh, uh, provokes your interest, then just begin to think and pray about, well, what need do I see? Because a lot of times we see a need and then we say, well, y'all should have this. Y'all need to do this. But that's, you see the need, so God wants to use you to fill that need. Write it down. Now, one, one role you won't see on here is uh, money counter. We, we, we just don't let anybody do money counter. Pat Ronald Jack, we make sure you But there's many other things on here that you can look at to do. 
So what we want to do is, when we transition into worship and the giving of a tithes and offering, we will we'll have a basket up front. If you choose to fill that out now and you want to bring in a drop in a basket, that's great. Um, on your way out, we will have another basket in the back that you can drop them off on your way out. Or preferably, you take it home. Uh, so maybe the Lord has already been dealing with you. And you, you, you can know where you want to get involved, what you want to be a part of. You can definitely take time to fill that out now. Or maybe you just need to go home and you want to pray on it. And feel free to turn this into the office at another later time. Sister Francis, Sister Diane Foray will take these. And we will begin the process of marrying people with needs. Uh, Sister Charlene serves as our ministry servant. So she is uh, working with ministry leaders to coordinate uh, what they need and to help them. So there's, there's a number of ways that you can serve. But I, I kind of want to leave us with three thoughts quickly. Um, one thing, I, I just want us to be, pro, be proactive. Be proactive. Don't wait. Don't wait. You ask God how he wants to use you. Show up and begin. Be proactive. Don't, don't wonder around. Say, I don't know how to serve. How can I serve? Just, just start somewhere. Find out where there is the greatest need. Just start serving. And you, you, you may not enjoy that particular ministry, but through that ministry, you begin to see other things that you wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. So be proactive. But secondly, be, be positive. Amen. Be positive. Look, look for opportunities, not complaints. Amen. So. We want to change our perspective. Instead of grumbling over problems, problems are really opportunities waiting to happen. <laughs> we have a lot of opportunities around here. And God wants to use you to fill those opportunities. But then lastly, I, I just ask, be patient. Be patient. Jesus runs this place, but Jesus still uses sinners. I'm, I'm broken. I'm wrong. I don't know it all. I don't have it all together. If y'all only knew what really was going on in my life during the week, Amen. I'd be like, Jesus, help. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in Proverbs every day. I don't know Deacons and the other pastors here and the Christian Day Department and extended care. Be patient with us. Pray for us. That God will use us to make wise decisions and choices. That He will be glorified by what goes on here. Ultimately, service is a gospel issue. A lack of service for one another just reveals either a false understanding of the gospel or is it an abuse of grace? See, if the gospel says to us that Jesus himself came in order to serve and not to be served, and we are to follow his example, when we don't serve, then we're not being good followers of Jesus Christ. See, this is a gospel issue because the gospel says that God created man to serve him, to live for him and to glorify him. But that man in, in his sinfulness decided he wanted to serve himself and he wanted to be God. And in doing so, he, he, he broke God's commandments and allowed sin to enter into creation. So now 
So our first and foremost desire from birth is to satisfy ourselves. We don't want to serve anyone because sin has stained us completely, mentally, physically. And because sin has stained us, we see all across Scripture what it looks like when man continues to serve himself over and over again. Man falls into sin. Man is corrupted because of sin. And uh, despair and disaster comes because of our sinfulness. This pattern happens over and over and over again in Scripture. And if we were only to look at Scripture, sometimes we say, God, what are we to do? But God, in His grace and His mercy, knew that we would only want to serve ourselves. So He brought the ultimate servant, Jesus Christ, from the world. Jesus steps into creation as a baby. And He grows up living a sinless life. The life that we could not live. The life of complete and total submission unto the Father. Obedient to his will. Serving the sick. Serving his disciples. So ultimately, the greatest demonstration of service was dying upon Calvary's cross for you and for me. Amen. And then Jesus takes that burden upon himself. He buries it in the tomb. But the text says three days later, he rose again with all power in his hand. The ultimate act of service, he gave his life. That we would have salvation. Yeah. So, how do we respond to Jesus' service? Do we continue to live what we want to live and do what we want to do and abuse the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus has given to us? Or do we purpose in our heart today through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to keep serving myself, I don't want to keep living for myself. It's not getting me anywhere. It's bringing pain and destruction in my life. It's so hard to be selfish. Because you always got to be thinking about being selfish. Lord, please forgive me for my sin of selfishness. Help me to turn and help me to live for you. That's my challenge today. If you are here today, and you have not experienced the grace that Jesus Christ brings. If you have not enjoyed the, the grace that God has given, cry out to him today. Look to Jesus, the one who went to Calvary's cross. Look to Jesus who already accomplished everything that we need for the forgiveness of sin. See, beloved, we, we need grace in order to truly understand the gospel and truly to understand what it means to serve because apart from a deep understanding of God's love and grace, we will always abuse grace and seek to serve ourselves. So, beloved, you may be one of two people here today who don't serve at all. And one reason may be because you're just being disobedient to God's calling in life. You're just running. And you don't want to submit to Him. Beloved, trust Christ today. Believe what He says about your life over what the world is telling you about your own life. Either you're disobedient, or but secondly, maybe you're just not a part of the body. And when I say the body of Christ, we saw in the text that we are all one, not because we decided to show up on Sunday together, not because we invite one another, not because we just eat together, but because Jesus Christ has redeemed the people to himself and covered us in his blood. And if you have not 
surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're just not part of the body. You may be religious, you may go to church, you may even be a member of Fourth Baptist Church, but you are not a member of the body of Christ. There's three types of service in the church. There's the self-serving. The person who only works for their own interests. Doing what they want to do for their own glory. Then there's the selective servant. They serve only when it's convenient for them. Not that sacrificial service. But then thirdly, there's the servant of all. Those ready to meet the needs of whomever, whenever. Whenever they come. Are you a self-servant, a selective servant, or a servant of all? My challenge to you is that you will serve the body of Christ today. That we may, may be one together. And that God will get all glory. Let us pray. Gracious and gentle Father, I just thank you for the opportunity and privilege to preach your word. Thank you for the challenge that you are calling us to just use our gifts. Lord, help us to be faithful for the grace that you have given unto us. And help us to serve you, Lord. For the ones who does not know Jesus Christ, they ask that you will convict them of their sins. Show them how they've been living for themselves all these years. But you call us to love and submission towards you. Father, for the one who has been disobedient, ask that they will repent and turn towards you. For your word declares that if we do confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I ask that you will glorify yourself in this place. These things we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. The call is simple. If you're here today and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you may do so.